Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. We're so excited that you are here. This is our scripture study podcast. We move through pointing out things we think you don't want to miss. Hallelujah. And my cousin (laughs) said the other day, it was her favorite line when I said, and where Emily tells you the things you will love. (laughs) I can't help it. That was my best. She's like, that was your best intro, by the way. Maybe we need to go back to that one. (laughs) We don't know. Um, All right, today we're doing Luke 12 through 17 and John 11, which, who divided up the chapters? They should have made the Gospels go way into the summer, in my opinion. All the way through August. you have so many stories here. One we're not even doing. um, Well, more than one, (laughs) because there's so many good ones. This includes two of the best chapters, three of the best chapters in the whole entire scriptures. It's so true. Right? We say this every time, but truly today is one of our <laughs> favorites. It's right. true. So, like we had to fight over who was teaching what in this lesson. And so if we just interrupt each other through the entire lesson, we're asking forgiveness now because we're, we're just going to make sure neither of us forgets anything. The best parts. Yeah. Exactly. Because they all have the best parts in them. They're legit, really. Yeah. Like. Just so you know, Luke 15 is the best chapter in all of Scripture. I'll fight everyone on it, and I would win. I'll win, right? Like, I have that page from Moon's Books. Remember, you can get those, like, pages from old, old Bibles, from a Geneva Bible of Luke 15. I was like, oh, if my house burned down, that is what I would grab, that one page. Where is it? I just want to know. Where is it? In my entry, right in my entry when you walk in. I love it. I love it so much. I'm like, actually, this is the only page of Scripture I need. You know, I just read this over and over again. It's fine. So anyways, so good. We're calling today Lost and Found, and we can't wait. Okay, section one, take it away. She won this one. Oh, I love this story so much. We're going to be in Luke 14, so that's where you're going to want to start. And um, I love that we titled this one Radical Generosity, because sometimes that is what Jesus brings to the table, is radical generosity. All times. Okay, so true. I want to be more like that. This is one of the things that I love the most about him. Um, This is going to be a parable, but I love the thought of this parable. And what's going to happen? We're in Luke 14 is where we're going to be. And he starts out... I'm so stuck on what you just said, but I want to be more like that. I just feel like sometimes there's a debate inside the soul. Like, should I be this generous? Because Mm -hmm. if I am, are people going to take advantage of it? Are they not going to realize there's, you know, consequences well, if I'm also, too generous. And or... are they going to think I don't understand the law? Right, If right. I'm overly generous, will they think that I don't understand the law or the doctrine? And Jesus understood the law and the doctrine so well. Jesus is the law, right? Yes. Like, he is it. Yeah, he knew it, and he still could be generous, that radically li- generous. There's that line in the hymn that I don't even know which hymn. Um, it's okay. You don't have to write in and tell us. I'll look it up after. But um, where it says he he won our souls with love, it's like that. That's actually what wins people over, yeah. right? What the thing that actually works to win people over 
is not additional shame. It's not additional exclusion. It's not the explanation of, you know, penalties. It's yeah. love, love wins people over yeah. to the law. Which reminds what, like, me right? of um, Ammon in, uh, when he, remember when he oh, won their hearts? wins their hearts, yeah. Yeah, and it's because he loved them so well. And then he won their hearts and then he began to teach. Yeah, and they changed because of the love, right? Yeah. Where it was just like, obviously, Jesus wants the woman in adultery, for example, go thy way and sin no more. That is the life I actually want you to live. Yeah. Saying that, radical generosity does not condone sin. Yes. But it gives someone like the energy and the reason to oh, that's walk so good. away from sin. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be a time where you just um, are going to experience this radical generosity. And what happens is we start in Luke 14, verse 16. He's going to tell a parable, Jesus is. And he said, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. And I love the thought of this because I'm someone who loves to make great suppers. That is true about me. And I love to invite many to come. Our door is like... Our home has an open door policy. Just anybody can come in who wants to. And I imagine that about this man, but I also love thinking about this. When you prepare for a dinner party and usually it's on like a Saturday and you take all day long, you're cooking, you went to the store, you're preparing all the food, you've put everything in the oven. Then meanwhile, now you have to clean the entire kitchen because you just cooked everything and get everything ready and you set the table and you vacuum the floors and like it is a whirlwind all day long. And for me, usually it's up until the very last second that I finally am like throwing on my clothes, brush through my hair, walk out into the family room five minutes before it's going to start. And there is that like pause where you just kind of look over everything to see that all is ready, you know? And I love that pause, that five minute pause of like the glasses are full, everything's laid out. You just, you feel that anticipation of what mm. goodness is about to happen there. And I, that's what I imagine when I read verse 16, a certain man made a great supper and he bade many and he sent his servant at supper time to say to them who had been bidden come because all is ready now. And in those days, what would have happened is um, they would have sent out the save the date invitation like a month before. I'm going to have this dinner. It's going to be on this date. I'll send my servant when it is ready, when it's time. And so the servant went out to tell everyone tonight is the party. So you should come. And what happens in verse 18 is they all with one consent begin to make excuse. And the first says to him, I bought a piece of ground and I have to go see it. So could you have me excused from the dinner? I'm not going to be able to make it. So he goes to the house of the next guy and he's like, listen, I bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go and prove them. So will you please tell him I actually can't make it this time? And another said, I married a wife and so I can't come. And the interesting thing is, when you hear all those excuses, my mind wants to first go to, like, go look at the ground tomorrow. Right. Prove the oxen in the morning when you wake up. Like, they're, they're all such, like, they're the, like, regular duties of everyday life. Yeah. It's not like someone was like, my mom's in the hospital. Will you tell him I can't come? All of those things would still be there 
the next morning, all of them. And yeah. so I love that thought. Um, what keeps you from feasting with the Lord? And usually it's just going to be an, a common everyday occurrence, just a distraction of yeah. some sort. And I always love to pause right here and just think, okay, is anything keeping me from accepting that invitation right now that I need to like readjust what my priorities are? And so the servant comes home. Well, and also because I started just thinking to myself, like I've given excuses of why I can't go to something before. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody has, right? Yes. That's why COVID was so nice. Cause <laughs> like, oh, I have a sniffle. Um, you're just out of whatever you didn't want to go to. But, um, but like if it's something I really genuinely want to go to, like I, I make it work. Right. Which makes me think these people don't understand what kind of feast this is. Yes. Right. The problem with all of them is, oh, you actually don't know what you're missing, yes. which is why you're making the excuse. Right. Like, so someone I, I think needs to explain the party better to you yes. or something because yeah, you wouldn't if you miss knew, this. you wouldn't miss it, right? Yeah, yeah that's so good. Um, so he goes home and he tells the master, uh, nobody can come. And I think it's so interesting, that emotion right there. In 21, it says, the master of the house being angry said to his servant, and I actually love that he experiences disappointment. Hmm. I love that he's like, listen, this is like important. Why couldn't they save the oxen in the field and, and all of those things? Like, I love that he cares enough to experience that great disappointment to the point of anger that those people are not going to be there. But he immediately says, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And I just want you to think about that for a minute. Like sometimes when you read a parable, it helps if you draw it out or you visually take time to think, okay, how is the poor going to get there? And what would he have worn? And the, the blind... Like, how did he get to the house? I, I love to think that part through. And the maimed, all of a sudden I start thinking, that servant did more than just be like, hey, do you want to come to dinner? This is the address. But that servant was probably putting in a lot of work to actually get those people to the table, which I think is so important to remember. Right, because it actually would be really easy to say like, well, I invited them. Yes. You know, I tried. But they but, didn't but, come. Yeah, they didn't come. And it's just like, well, of course they didn't come. How would they it get was, there? And and they probably felt stupid coming yeah. also because they're like, wait, I'm way out of place there. Right. You needed somebody to mediate that. Yes. You and, know? Yeah, and get them and lead them and carry them. And um, we're going to, this worksheet that is in the back of the journal for this week, um, you're going to want to think about this as you're going through. And I love the thought of like processing through every single invitation and how it was extended and how it was received and how the person got there. And so who was invited is going to be the first thing. The second question we want you to ask is what held them back from maybe being able to come to the table? Whether it was personal choice, whether it was like a, a real life, um, not inconvenience, but like a something that would like realistically hold them back from getting there and how they got there in the end. Um, 
what, what was it that got them there? And we really want you to take the time to go through every person and just think, okay, logistically, how does this person get to the table? Yeah. If you were to go through every single one. So it says, the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded. Everyone's here. They're all sitting at the place and there's still room. So now what do you want me to do? And this, I think, is my favorite verse in the whole um, story. And that, and like triggered by that really, really rad line in 22. Like mark yeah. that. Yet yeah. there, there is, is room. room. Yeah, there is room. There is room for you. Um, there's, there's still going to be room. And so he says in 23, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And this is what I love about this. If you research about the customs of the Jewish culture, people who were in the highways or the hedges, that's on the outskirts of town. The hedges and the highways are outside the city, the acceptable place. These are the people in the margins. And I love that he says to the servants, oh, you forgot the people in the margins. That's where I need you to go. And then I love that he uses that word compel. Yeah. Um, it, it also means urge. Like you are going to have to talk them into coming for exactly what you talked about. They, they will not be sure they are welcome here. They, they will wonder if you have given the wrong invitation. They're not going to be sure that this invitation is actually for them or that there would really be a place at this table compel them to come because I want my house to be filled. And I love this verse. Of all the verses, this is my favorite verse, is you think about how did they get there, those on the highway and the hedges, and that servant. And what did that conversation look like? How did he build trust? How did he get them there? Like, don't you just want to think about that? conversation. And Mm -hmm. it really makes me think to myself, what is my posture in my faith community? Um, Who am I inviting to the table? And as am I as comfortable with the ones who should obviously be there as I am with the people in the margins? Because Jesus is okay with the people in the margins coming and sitting at the table. That's what we learn about um, this lesson. And I think it's important for us to remember that. Are we doing a good job of building trust? Are we doing a good job of loving well? This is radical generosity. This is like thinking way outside the box. And I love one time David and I were studying this together. Do you even remember this? And we were up at the kitchen table and we were just hammering out this whole parable for seminary. We were going to teach it in seminary. And at the end of the, when we were reading, David said to me, what was he serving at the banquet? And I was like, oh, it doesn't say. And he was like, no, I think it does. So I would go through and read the entire parable word for word. And then I'm like, no. It doesn't say. (laughs) And he was like, think about it. Think about the people who were sitting at the feast all around the table, the blind, the maimed, the people in the margins, right? The hedges, the highways. What were they hungry for? 
And I still was like thinking about turkey and mass mashed potatoes at the time. <laughs> so I just looked at him like, this is not making any sense. And then do you remember what you said? Yeah, it's what they needed. It's healing. That's healing and and covering and uh, inclusion. And all. it's exactly what every single one of them needed there. And it's interesting that the people who came realized their need. Yeah. Right? Like that they were like, the other people were just like, oh, I don't think I need what anything. you're, what, I don't think I need anything because I have oxen and I have land and I have a wife. Yeah. So I'm good. Right? And it's just interesting that hold those who recognized that they were hungry and hurt and lacking were the ones that were most compelled to come. To come you know? Um, I think if, if God had mottos, they would be at the end of 22 and 23. Mm-hmm. You know? I was like, oh, What's your, uh, what's your, what legacy are you trying to build? What's your, <laughs> yeah. what's your motto? And he would say, yet there is room and that my house may be filled. Yes. He's like, that's actually my motto. If you have any, in any corner of your brain or heart, the idea that God has a quota of some sort, right? That, you know, like, oh, I, we reached capacity. Yes. Th- these lines, you know, should come to the front. Yet there is room. And he's, he says, my purpose is that my house may be filled. I'm not trying to find reasons to keep people out. I'm actually trying to compel people in. Yes. Is what that's I'm so doing. Good. That's the sign you want on heaven. There's yeah. still room. Yeah. In fact, maybe this is what heaven's like. Anyone who gets there, he says, oh, go back. I'm, Go find somebody else yes. to come. You came by yourself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just go back. Maybe that's what section 138 is all about. Yeah. You know, the missionaries to the spirit world or whatever. Go go yeah. bring people. And don't you want your ward family to be the type of family that this is what your sacrament meeting looks like? Yeah. And, and there'd have to be a, a culture shift in some places. Like, a, oh, hold on. What if our goal really was... That the house may be filled. Yeah, come you know? to the table. Right. Yeah, and you had can, that come to the table mentality all the time. And can we can we explain the feast better? Can we do a better job mm. of saying what that feast is? We legitimately have a table in our sacrament meeting rooms. There is a table and there is a feast that is set. And anybody who's eight is saying, that's not a feast unless <laughs> I take the biggest piece, you know. But like what it symbolizes is every gift in every amount of grace that he has to offer, whatever the conditions of your life are, whatever your needs are. Yeah. A table set. We have a table set yes. in our, symbolically in our meetings, yeah. you know, for this very reason. Yeah. And who's it for? It's the people who need inclusion and healing and love and refuge and, you know, all of those things that are at the very base of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes... That gets confused with the law and the doctrine, which are crucially important to knowing how to become a saint. But within that balance of loving God well, of knowing law and doctrine, equal to it should be the way we love his people. Yeah, and we have some things that we don't have answers to right now as Mm -hmm. far as that discussion of inclusion goes. Like we're working through that and figuring out by love that you just said, the base, but come back to the heart and soul and yeah. basics of Christianity, which is Jesus has an offering for you. And wherever you are, that offering is available to you. That, that 
yeah. initial and, feast. And is... We're all sinners. We all are. None of us walks into that meeting perfect. Not one. Right. And and who are we to judge the level of somebody's ability to to walk in and receive Jesus? We, we all need him as desperately as each other. When we walk in the door. It would be a fallacy to think, because I've lived this, this, and this way, I have now earned that feast. Yes. But rather, because I've fallen short, yes. because I've failed, and because I'm hurting, I actually need that feast. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's so good. That's such a good parable. You think that's the best one? You're wrong. The next <laughs> ones are coming, right? And who loves it? They're next door neighbors to each other. This yes. is a great neighborhood in scripture. Yes, it is. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I love that um, our good friend Michael Wilcox will call these next two parables warm-up parables for what will be David's favorite chapter in scripture. Um, but I feel like even this Luke 14 is a warm-up parable. I, I love agree. that he's like, here, let me show you where love fits in and where the lost fit in to this story. Yeah. A, a lot of times with parables, what happens is the, you want to look at what's the question, what's the scenario, mm -hmm. what's the situation, and like triggered the parable. It kind of helps you understand, right? Like what, what it is, like, because everything's not a perfect match, yeah. right? So we're not looking for like perfect matches. We're looking for feeling and vibe of these things. So interestingly, we get the situation in question painted out for us at the beginning where it says, then drew near unto him. And I love thinking that that is like in response to what was just taught in the yes, chapter before. Me too. Like what you taught actually drew unto you all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And that is so interesting that it's yeah. just like, am, is, is, the, is the gospel message I'm sharing, is it drawing the hedges and the highways in? If it's not, perhaps I need it's to off. change the message. Right. Yeah. And actually drew these people in and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured. Oh, I got it. Sorry. This is what it says. They murmured and they says, this man eats with these people. But the message, remember that, um, that Bible that I love so much that's a... Uh, paraphrase Bible. Yeah. This is how it says it. it's better. It's better than, sorry, King James people. This one's better. <laughs> um, by this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and the religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. <laughs> he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And which is the best line ever. You're like, who, he treats him like old friends. Yes. And then he says, their grumbling triggered these stories. So the question was, wait a second, you're not supposed to share that feast with people like yeah. that. Like that's not how things go. That's not how, what God is like, you know? And they were grumbling about that. And then it triggered, you know, these three stories. Yeah. That he tells. So he starts the first one and he's like, okay. And let's tell people this because this would be a fun way to teach this. Depending on which one you choose to teach, there's going to be similarities in these three parables. And, mm. and you want to be looking for, um, first of all, it will generally have to do with one person. Um, second, there will be a finding that takes place. And third, there will be a rejoicing. Well, then, a, and, and then a searching in between, yeah. which is this until word. Yeah. That's, this is the yeah, search word, that. right? And you, know? you kind of want to look for that in all three as we go through. 
Okay, story number one. He just says, how many of you, if you had 100 sheep, and if you lost one of them, would you not leave the 99 and then go into the wilderness and go after that which is lost until you found it? And he's asking this like, this is like a super obvious question. But every time I read it, I think to myself, no. I have 99. I, I absolutely would not go look for that one. You know, you want me to, how many did you say I had? 99. My friends, if I got a 99% on anything ever in my life, I think my mom would have super glued it to the fridge. Like 99 is great. I actually would have said back, Lord, if I have 82 of the sheep, I would actually be fine. Because he says, go out into the wilderness where there are bears and wolves and look until you find it right? Not until you're cold, not until you're hungry, not until you're bored, not until you, you think there's, you've given up hope, but an, like search and search and search until you actually find it. And he says, and when you find it, will you not put it on your shoulders and, and bring it home and call together your friends and family and say, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. And I, I'm like, no, I'm not putting that wet, nasty sheep on my shoulders and have it drip down my neck and carry it home and call all the friends and neighbors to say to rejoice. But he says, like, essentially, I'm painting a picture for you of answering the question, why do I sit with people like this? I'm painting a different kind of picture for you. It might seem a little bit ridiculous if you have 99 to go out and to search in the dark and in the cold yeah. until you find Well, and it. it's so interesting because he just, we just did John 9, the blind man. Right. So people would have remembered, oh, do you remember how in that one synagogue you cast out that boy who was healed because maybe he believed in Jesus? And that, you remember that one line when it says, and when he found him, and I just love the thought that Jesus is actually not, talking about lost sheep right, right now. He's talking about lost boys, right? He's like, you guys are content with the number in your synagogue right now. Content enough that you would actually let one go and be fine with that, which is just so interesting in my right. mind. And I actually think every time I read this, that there's a, a, a little bit of sarcasm in verse 7. It, where he just says, likewise, there is this kind of rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than 90 and nine who don't need it. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, actually, there is no such thing as 90 and nine who don't need it. So anybody yes. who actually thinks they're the 90 and nine in this parable is wrong. There's actually no such thing. Yeah. Right. There's nobody that doesn't need it. Yeah. So. The rejoicing, I think, is actually happening a lot on the, yes. the sheep side. You yes. know, someone came and found me. Like yes. someone brought me home. And, and they cared enough. Right, yeah. right. Um, and then he's like, if that doesn't make sense to you, maybe you don't raise sheep. Let me talk about this. That woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lost one piece, is she not going to light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And I do love that thought. The, you think about the sheep and it feels like the sheep wandered off, right? That's what sheep do. That that sheep probably wandered off and that required a shepherd to actually go out after it. But in this story, it's interesting because it almost feels like there was neglect involved. Mm -hmm. how, how did you lose 
you know, that piece of silver, were, were you not careful with it or what was happening? And sometimes that's true of us. Sometimes we are not careful with people and it might be neglect on our part that causes someone to get lost. And I love that this woman is going to leave nothing unturned, right? She's going to clean out and she's going to dust and she's going to light that candle and she's going to go in the dark places to fix that neglect that she probably caused herself um, to go after that. And there's... um, And then she also brings her friends together and says, rejoice with me for I have found (laughs) the bees which I had lost, which I always like get a giggle out of because how much did the party cost? Right. You know, (laughs) like that probably that piece of silver that she's just searched for paid for the party. But I love that thought of that, like rejoicing. This is this one little piece is important enough for a great celebration yeah, and I think, and two, like when you're looking all day, I want to say, ma'am, go earn another coin. Yeah. You know? Yes. And and when I read this, I think it's like, it's actually a little bit ridiculous. Yes. Right? You want to come back to radical kind of thinking. You're like, listen, that coin is a coin. It's a coin, you know? Yeah. Like in the sheep one, at least you were like, oh, they have those eyes, you know, <laughs> you might want it. Like, and I'm not even an animal person. You might be endeared to right. it. You named but like, it. But a coin you know, they sit in pockets or under couches. They don't even do anything. And, yeah. and when I read this, I think, listen, the accountant would come in and say, it's not worth it. It's yeah. not worth, this is not worth the cost. Yes. But the interesting thing is, this is a parable about an owner who's deciding what that coin is worth. Yes. And the coin doesn't actually get to decide what it's worth to the owner. The owner gets to decide the worth. Well, and don't you love this along that same lines is that just because it was lost, it didn't decrease in worth. Yeah. Have you ever thought of that before? That's awesome. I know. that Because sometimes we look at someone who's lost and then we're like, well, they're, maybe they're not measuring up. And it's so interesting here that their measure wasn't lessened because they were lost. Yeah. They were still worth the same before and after the getting lost yeah. part. And the way, the, the way this woman responds and reacts to that coin leaves you thinking like, wait, really the math doesn't add up for this. Yeah. You, you shouldn't love something this much. And it's the very story he's trying to paint. Yes. He's like, but I do. Yes. You know, I do. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden now he's going to take us into... Uh, the prodigal. And we story. all assign that word prodigal to different people when we read right. this parable. And should you just start out with that? It's fun to read this parable actually three ways. So going into it, we'll talk about some of these, but I love going through and reading this parable from the eyes of the father, start to finish, from the eyes of the eldest son start to finish and from the eyes of the youngest son start to finish because you will learn a different lesson depending on which perspective you take each time. Right. Now, typically the way that it's read is it's focused on that boy who gets the name prodigal and prodigal means over the top, like out, like just, um, you know, some people are just extra in the way that they do things. Uh, when, when kids make spring sugar cookies and they decorate them, 
the way they put the sprinkles on, that's prodigal, right? You're just like... Too much. Yo, you have just <laughs> gone, you know, for level 10 on this one is what that word means, which is the way that that younger son acts, you know, when he wastes all of the stuff yeah, prodigally. He's excess, he's excess yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think I, I saw, you know, I've seen someone rename this parable the prodigal father before. And, and when you read it, you're actually like, oh yeah, you are actually a little bit excess, too. You are, you have radical generosity. generosity in this also. So you're familiar with this. This boy comes to his dad. There's two sons. Parable of two sons is, is the way that he starts it. And, and he says, which is important, I think, because like normally we're just like, oh, it's the parable of the prodigal son. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's the parable mm-hmm. of a father with two boys Yeah, is what this is a parable about. Um, Who are both lost. Yes. But in different ways. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, the little boy is lost in a way where he actually says to his father, I want my inheritance now. And back then and today, you don't get your inheritance until the father dies, which essentially is that little boy saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I actually didn't want you. I wanted the money. Right? And and so and the father actually does it. He sells off his land, gives the boy money. He goes off and he spends it all. A famine comes in the land. And now this kid trying to make survive, trying to survive. He's lost all of his friends and opportunities and everything. Finds himself getting a, a job or just mercy at a pig farm. where he Which gets is some... so interesting. And, and you love when it says he joined himself to a citizen because he's trying to find belonging. He's trying to mm, find that's community. And, that's a cool And line. he finds it with who his dad would not want him to find it with, right? We know this is... Um, a story told by Jesus to a Jewish community who's going to be imagining a Jewish family culture in which you don't have anything to do with swine ever. And so it's so interesting to me that he like joins himself to this citizen who doesn't have any of his same morals or values or religious perspective. And I've never thought about this before, considering who he's talking to. He was like, this guy that you all actually consider the wretched of the earth, because he's a pig farmer, took him in yeah. and gave him a job yes. and gave him a chance. Yeah. You know, he found belonging somewhere. Where someone would actually accept him, which right. is sad. Right. Yeah. So he's there in the pig mush. And thinks to himself this question. I mean, thinks to himself this thought in verse 17. The lowest people in my father's house actually have a better life than I do. They're taken care of and they're fed and they're looked after. And I think that is such a powerful realization for him. And he's hungry. It's just like Luke 14, where what is he hungry for? And he's just hungry now for love right so he makes this plan it's a five-part plan in verse 18 i will arise i will go to my father part two i will say to him father i've sinned against heaven and before you four i'm no more worthy to be called your son five make me as one of your hired servants i'll just earn my way back into this household so he starts to carry out that plan and you love that he has a plan like he thinks it through this is what the plan is going to look like. And sometimes for us, we would call that a plan of repentance. Okay. I just thought that for the very first time this weekend. Like I was like, 
oh, it's so interesting that he has a checkbox and how to get back into his father's. Yes. He's like, oh, you're supposed to do this and yes. this and this and this yes. and this yeah. to get back. Yes. You know? Yeah. And then it says this. So he starts carrying out the plan and he arose, verse 20, he came to his father, then this line. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And there's two parts of that that are really, really powerful to me. One, it says when he was yet a great way far off. And, and on one end of that, it was like the only way that father would have known that the boy came home is if he were watching for him. Like there was no alarm system. There was no, like he would have had to have been watching for him. And he didn't have the date on the calendar. There wasn't a warning, which means he's just consistently watching from the window. And I'm so intrigued by the second part of that, which is when the boy was still far away, the father ran out to where he was. And I he love this didn't... part. Don't miss my favorite oh, I part won't. when you I tell won't. this story about the wife. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you going to tell that part? Just her, yeah. When he's like, she's like, you need to come eat dinner. Right, and he's like, night after night after night after night, right? She says, hey, it's probably cold by the window. Why don't you come closer to the fire? And and he probably says, no, I'll just have an extra blanket. Or dinner time, she's like, hey, come to the table, have dinner. And he says, would you mind making me that plate? I want to eat it at the windowsill. I'm watching for my boy to come home. And it's so interesting. The boy who wasted it all. The boy who said, I wish you were dead. And the moment he sees that boy, his gut response is compassion. That's response number one, was compassion. He did not tap his foot and wait for the kid to make it all the way home. And he didn't say, once you clean up your act, then we can start having a conversation. But he ran far away. He was still far away. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, do this and this and this to come back. And then you can have the love of the father. But he ran out to where he was. And please notice that in 21, when the boy says, oh my gosh, wait, wait, wait. Father, I'm so sorry I sinned against heaven and starts going through this plan. Please notice the order here mm-hmm. that the hugs and the kisses came before the apology while that kid still stunk like pig. And he says, go get my slippers and my robe and my rings and, and, and kill the fatted calf, right? Which is the prized possession of the family. Like a dad wouldn't have killed the fatted calf even for his favorite daughter's wedding. Like that's just like, this is the, you know, and, and essentially says to that boy, no, no, you won't earn your way into this family. I will actually offer up my most prized possession as, as, a, as a symbol, as, as a, a way of showing you what you actually mean to me. And he says, and strike up the band. Call the DJ. We are having a party. Yes. You're home. You're home. Um, and, and so you start reading that and, and on one end you're like, okay, what if you're that younger son? You could read it from his perspective. What about the father? What picture are we mm-hmm. seeing of Jesus painting a, a new picture of the father to us to people who said like, those people don't belong. They're yet a great way far off. off. They stink like pig. You shouldn't have them at your table. And yeah. Jesus is like, I think you have 
a misunderstanding that, that we should we should clear up. Um, and then you get the older boy. Yes. Right? And the older boy um, comes, hears all the music and dancing and kind of like gets a little bit um, miffed by that. Where he's like, wait a second. I have done good my whole life and have never gotten that party. Right? And he stays outside. And then you see the dad again. And the dad comes outside of the party to the boy who, you know, on one end you have a boy who's lost because of the way that he lives a a wild life. Mm -hmm. But you have another boy who's lost and he's actually lost in his obedience. He's actually lost in like, wait, I thought, you know, like I, I should get that party because of everything that I've done, you know, and the father comes out to that boy I know. Also. Don't you love that they're both in a field? Oh, and that yeah. the father yeah. has to go out and meet them where they are as they are. One stinking like pig, the other just so much contention because of circumstance and what he feels he is owed. And and I love that the father meets them both yeah. where yeah. they are and has that conversation. But then they both have the choice if they're going to come in and sit at the table. They both get that choice. The, the, the younger son has to make the choice of, do I want to be in this family still? And the older son, same choice. Am I willing to go and sit at the table with someone like the younger son? Like they both have to choose. And I love that the story ends Without us knowing what either of them did. Right. Were they going to come to the table that had been set? I love to, when I read this story, um, and I I love to assign out who who was everyone in the parable. And um, the younger son, obviously, in that situation would have been the publicans and the sinners. And the older son would have been the Pharisees and the people who were keeping the law safe. But I love to think about the Father as our Heavenly Father, as God. And one time when I was reading this parable, I was like, well, where's Jesus in the story? And as I was reading through, all of a sudden that fatted calf took on a new meaning to me. That if you look up in the Bible dictionary, the best sacrifice would have been one that was fatted. It was one that was prepared for that sacrifice. And and it's almost as if the father was saving this sacrifice. Go prepare the fatted calf. Mm. That's how I will welcome my son back to my table. And it's really interesting because there's two interesting verses that bookend this parable. And one happens at the very beginning when the boy says to his dad, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living, which means the younger son got his portion, but the older son also got his portion at that time, which would have been a double portion. He was the oldest. In essence, they both received all that the father had in that moment. And the young boy wasted his and his way back into the family is going to be through this partaking of the fatted calf. That's his welcome back in. But it's interesting because the older son says to him, 
Um, I never transgressed. I was always here. I was always obedient. And yet you never gave me a fatted calf that I could make merry with my friends. And I think it's so interesting, the father's response. But as soon as this, thy son was come, which had um, devoured thy living, you killed for him the fatted calf. And the father says to him in 31, son, you have ever been with me and all that I have is thine including the fatted calf. It was already yours. Whether or not you chose to partake of it, that was your choice all along. It's been here all along. And I love that thought of that grace, that gift of grace at the table. It was there for both boys equally. That fatted calf was there for both boys, but they had to choose to partake of it. The father offered the fatted calf and they had to choose if they were going to partake. And, and that was true for all of the people there, the publicans, the sinners, the Pharisees, everybody got to choose who's going to recognize the gift I'm providing at the feast. And I just, that's my favorite part of this whole story is, will I partake of the fatted calf? Right. Will I? It's beautiful. See, best chapter ever. So good. We love that story. Okay. This next story is one that's really well known and loved. And it's a story of the, the 10 lepers. Um, Two bad and 16, we're missing that one parable of Lazarus. Everyone, make sure you read it. I love that one so much. But um, we're doing another Lazarus at the end. We had to pick a Lazarus, y'all, and we picked (laughs) the other one. So don't feel bad. But this one's about these 10 lepers. And something that we really love about this story is there's almost like a pattern here with this 10th leper of something we're calling living like that last leper and what that looks like. He's going to walk away in belief and faith, rejoicing. And it's like, wait, what What if I want my life and relationship to look like that? Like, what's the, what's that, what's that pattern? Yeah. And, like? and what's the lesson? How right. do I get to that lesson? And I love what happens is, um, as we get in there, um, we're in Luke 17 now, and we're going to start in verse 11. It came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria, and Galilee. And, and he, this is fun because remember Samaria, we've seen this before with the woman at the well that he passes through there and how like different that is because everybody would usually walk around. And I do love at the end of this parable, by the way, it says, and he was a Samaritan, you know, because yes. it kind of was like, oh, here's the other yes. good Samaritan, you yes. know, like a, a guy who'd like, wait, somehow somebody who was on the outside figured it out quicker than the people who were on the inside, maybe on the inside, yeah, in the margins, in the hedges, right? right? He's going back to that highway. He's going to the city. No one wants to walk through. And not only is it the city, no one wants to walk through, but he enters into a certain village and there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And again, we just get that hint of the people in the margins. He keeps telling the story of the people in the margins. We saw it with the boy who worked with swine. We saw it with the people in the highways and the hedges. Now we're going to see it with these lepers who are ostracized from family and friends because of their circumstance, because of their illness. 
And they know to stand afar off and they lift up their voices and say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass, I love this part, that as they went, they were cleansed. Like there was this part of Jesus following the law, right? He keeps bringing it back. It's almost as if he's like, don't think I don't know about the law. Yeah. I know the law. I know how a leper becomes clean is by showing himself to the priest. And I'm not neglecting the law. I'm not circumventing the law. I'm showing you, you can love along with the law. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face and gave him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the other nine? And I love this thought. And I just, I want to pause for a minute and think about each of these steps because I think they're so interesting how this happens. So first of all, they meet him. They come out, they seek him. That's what's happening. And this PS, sorry, is verse 12. I made a little mistake there, but you'll see it when you read through this. And then remember these, you can either screenshot them and kind of zoom in, or we save every single one of these in the app. If you are yeah. trying to see some so of the, the stuff a little bit closer. So the PowerPoint is there. You'll just open yeah. up that lesson and every one of these slides and these pictures will be I love that you just call it there. a PowerPoint. Well, that's what it feels like <laughs> yeah. when you get in there. Like people yeah, wouldn't know, but it really is like a PowerPoint. Yeah. It's just... Each of the slides are yeah, there. Yeah, are there as if you were teaching this whole lesson. You can find all of it there. Um, what would you have called it? I'm just interested to know. Like a slide deck? Okay, this whole slide deck is here. (laughs) Um, So first of all, they meet him. And and we want to think about like, what does this look like in real life? And for us, it is, are you seeking personal experiences with the Lord? Um, Second, they lift up their voice and they ask for mercy. Like they, they don't just want to seek him. They actually want to engage with him. And we love that thought about prayer or about like really like opening up that line of communication and, and that calling out and almost that we'll talk about this in yes, I think next week's next, lesson yeah. more, but just this, like, this Crying is what I need. Out. This is this, I need yeah. help. Like there's something about, I don't know, that like humility. initiating that. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and then it's as they went that the healing comes and we love that thought about obedience Like there is that recognition of law. You cannot circumvent the law. And Jesus will reinforce that. Like love alone will not heal someone. That there is that balance of love and law that will actually heal someone. And and if if you like... Except like even took obey to just like live out your faith. Like if that was the line of what obedience meant. It's just interesting that it's this like as they were doing it. You know, like some people are like going through that rhythm. Give me the miracle first and then I will live this way. But rather Jesus is like, start living it and watch it come alive as you live it. That's so good. And then I love this in verse 15 where it says, um, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And that word turn back is one that anytime I see it, immediately I'm like, I need to remember this means repentance. Yeah. To turn again to Jesus, to turn back to Jesus. 
we would also use the word repent for that, just to turn back again. And I love that you see that here, what that actually looks like. And he glorifies God. Well, and, and I think it's cool that like you might be tempted in your mind to say, but that leper didn't do anything wrong. Why does he need to repent? That's so and good. that's so awesome to actually then, oh, good. You act, If you thought that, you need a new definition of the of word repentance. repent. Yeah. Yes. That's so good because it just simply means anytime you like are, are stopped in your day to look back to Christ, that's, that is a repentant heart. That's a turn to right. Christ heart. Right. I want that all the time in my life, that call to turn back. And he falls at his feet and he glorifies God. And, and I love that that signifies so much for me, actual worship. It's understanding of his hand working in your life. And six, he gives him thanks. And there's that thought about gratitude. When was the last time you expressed gratitude mm. for what the Lord is doing in your life? And then at the very end, he's going to say to him, arise and go your way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And I love that it's, it's kind of what you were talking about as they went. It's that faith journey that like entering into faith is what is actually going to make you whole and keep you whole. And I love that like the journey doesn't end right there. That's going to be a life journey now. And it makes me think um, several years ago, I was invited to go speak at the det detention center in downtown Salt Lake. And in that room of kids who came in, there was a group of boys who um, they called the D group and they sat on the very front row. And it was a group of boys that if you met them in a dark alley, you might be nervous. That's mm. what it, you would feel like <laughs> when you were there. And there are very strict rules when you speak in a situation like that. No one's allowed to talk. They can come in and sit down, but, but people don't talk um, when you're there and the guards sit right there and, and the counselors sit right next to him and everyone just has to sit quietly and look forward and it was Christmas time when I went in to speak and I had put together a whole lesson that I was going to do about the gifts of Christ and I had brought little presents I was going to set out and um, I had worked for a long time on the lesson and when I sat down and watched the kids start coming in the spirit said to me you brought the wrong lesson and I was like, I'm speaking in three minutes from right now. So what lesson <laughs> did you want me to bring? Could you have told me that Yeah, yesterday? in the three days that I was wrapping the gifts and all of these things. And immediately the spirit was like Luke 17. And I went there and in my Luke 17, I had this picture um, from James Christensen that I love. I love this picture so much because it depicts so many things for me. And if you're listening on the podcast, just look up James Christensen, the 10 lepers. But I love that it has these bells. They would have had these sticks with bells that they would ring so people would know they were approaching and know to get away from them. It was this group of um, men that had been taken away from their families that was in this community situation where there was no touching and no um, familiarity, no friends, no family at all. That's who these men were. And 
we talked about how what Jesus, that's the, I started telling this story and we talked about how what Jesus was offering these men was change. It was a chance to actually go back home, yeah, but different in mm. a way that they could actually live outside that circumstance they had been placed into. And as I was teaching, the spirit so carefully was tutoring me that these are those boys. And so I got that picture and I said to them, as I walked through that room, which one of these do you think loved Jesus the most out of all of them? And I just walked through and I let them kind of look. It was so quiet. And I remember I got to the end of that group of those boys from the D cell. And as I got to the very last one, one boy put out his finger and just touched this guy and said, this one. And it was this awkward moment for a second because the room immediately went on like high alert because somebody had said said something. something. And so people weren't sure like what was going to happen. But that boy could not resist Mm. that he had felt an impression. and, And it actually ended up being really sweet because he kind of like shrank back, but nobody said anything. And then this sweet confirmation came into that room of like, um, be, be this boy, allow those personal experiences and open up your heart to prayer and learn what law looks like and obedience and go through that process of turning again to Christ and what worship looks like and gratitude and maybe allow that belief to come into your life. And that's how change happens. And It was so sweet for me for a parable to actually be like real, uh, like applicable in that moment to someone and and to realize that Christ's teaching is so powerful as he leads us through these examples, they can be life changing. Like these seven things can actually change a life. And what I love about these seven things is they are, they're a focus on him rather than the healing that he brought, Mm. right? There's no focus on like, this isn't the formula to healing. It's not the formula to a miracle, unless the miracle is him. Yes. And their miracle is wholeness, right? What I love is like, even if they didn't, weren't cleansed of their leprosy, they still could have experienced wholeness. Through him. Through him. Like, I'm so happy they're so excited about the miracle. I just love that he's excited about the miracle giver. Yes. You know, and and just what that looks like. And these are things that connect us, you know, to To him him. and bring that wholeness. Yep. All right. Our very last story today, or our last segment this week is the story of Lazarus, which is just a miracle that will have like so many implications for Jesus's ministry because it's it's the one that really... Um, triggers the temple elite to say, oh, we've got to get rid of him yeah. at this point. He's too powerful. He's too... Yeah. Which every time I think through that, I'm like, doesn't it, that makes like zero sense right. to me. Yeah. You know? I was just like... But then sometimes I'm like, I can almost hear grumbling that could come from somebody who says like, oh, he's too good. We can't have him be that good. Yeah. We lose control. Well, he's and, that he, good and, and he's, he's unpredictable that, and right. he does things in an uncomfortable way and he's unexpected and we can't control 
what he's bringing to the table, which is sometimes scary for people. Yeah, yeah. So you, you may know the story. It's in John chapter 11. John's the only one who shares this story. Our word and name of Jesus for this week are going to come from this story. And we'll get to that verse in, in just a second. But there's this boy and his name is Lazarus. And he's a good friend of Jesus's. And um, Mary and Martha, they're siblings with each other. And remember, we met them and we looked at Martha's story and came into this chapter a little bit just to kind of show like, oh, wait, hold on. There's something about her that you should also know. But there's, you know, he gets sick and, and there a message comes, you know, that he is, he's sick, you know, to Jesus. And then, um, and then he says something about that sickness and in verse four, and he says, Hey, the purpose of this sickness is not that he dies, but that the glory of God could be glorified thereby. Like God's going to use a tragedy of life and turn it into a, a glorified memory is what he's going to do with this, you know? Which is interesting because it probably would have put everybody at peace. Like, oh good, nothing bad's going to happen, yes. right? Yeah. Oh, I love following Jesus. Nothing bad happens. <laughs> this is our best life. <laughs> then all of a sudden, he says, I need to go to Judea, which is right near where they are. Bethany is a neighboring city to Jerusalem. It's right over the Mount of Olives. They're really close to each other. And everyone says, you can't go there because you will be stoned to death. If you go there, like people are, are like, they will get rid of you if you go there. And so there is this like really, really interesting tension, right? Where it's like, you can't go there. Why are we going there? Hold on. People still haven't wrapped their minds around this idea that he's introducing that I'm going to go to die, you know, mm-hmm. there to give myself over to these wicked people. And, and anyway, there's this tension that's happening. And then all of a sudden they get this message that Lazarus has died. And, um, and then he says, uh, this, um, in verse 15, I, I, uh, he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Um, and it's interesting to me that he says, I'm glad for your sakes that he was, that we were not there. And he's not necessarily saying for his sake which I read that yesterday and thought, oh, that's so interesting because it makes me think that Jesus is actually kind of struggling with this a little bit. Like just the, hold on, the intention, the emotion. Is he like, are there now days of prayer where he's like, what do I do with this situation now? And what like... And don't you think too that he's like, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there like these 12 because you're going to need to know that what I'm about to do there is possible because otherwise it'll be really hard for you to get through the next weeks of when I'm gone. True, you know, that yeah. you need to know this. But I think it's so interesting that also it hints to, I'm not glad for Mary and Martha right. that they had to live right. through yeah. this. Yeah. And, and I need this tension. moment for you. I need you to know what I'm capable of. And, and so I'm glad this happened for your sakes, but I'm I'm sad of what Mary and Martha had to go through in order for you to have this lesson. Yeah, and that's who meets him first is Martha when they get to the edge of town and she comes to him and she just uses this line 21, which is, it's like a line that's been repeated thousands of mm-hmm. times since. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I just hear every broken-hearted mother, every 
you know, mm-hmm. just sorrowful friends saying, "If you, why weren't you here? If you were here, you know, then this wouldn't have happened. But then the way she responds is the, is the definition to me of, of trusting God. And she says, but whatever you will ask of God, God will give it you. And there was no request for him to be risen from the dead, but rather just to say, like, almost this is that line that Jesus will use days later. Nevertheless, thy will be Mm -hmm. done, right? Yeah. Um, And I believe in a good father, and I believe you are good, you know, but... Yeah, this doesn't change my esteem of who you are. But I do want to just grieve for just a minute and say, like... I wish you were would have would have been here. Um, she's and he says your brother will rise again. And I love that Martha is just content with I know he will on in the resurrection at the last day. I know that's going to happen. And this is our our verse for the for the week. The name of Jesus because he says I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead. Yet shall he live. And I think it's so interesting that that word dead is assigned to somebody who's, who can believe. Mm. So he's not talking about a physical death here. Yeah. Lazarus is physically dead, but this lesson and miracle he will be teaching them seems to be less about physical death. Like he's like Martha's gone too. Like I know he'll rise again, but he says, I'm the resurrection of life. If you believe in me, even if you are dead inside, yet you will live again. I need you to see that. And this word resurrection in Greek uh, has these three definitions. And one is to stand up again, which <laughs> I think is actually so awesome in this context yeah. of this verse. Like, Because usually life makes you sometimes slump. And he just says, you can stand up again. You arise, yeah. you know, that word from the last prayer, raised to life again or rising again. It's that same idea of like, listen, whatever, if your life looks like Lazarus right now, you, you don't actually have to wait until the last day. Yeah. Like, yes, yes, everything will be solved in the last day, but believe today and, and find life, rise again, stand again, because, you know, and, and then she says, um, then Mary comes a- a- into the situation and, and I love this. I think this is fun to point out because we sometimes miss this, especially for the women who are listening. I love to parallel this John 11 with Mary and Martha's story that takes place in Luke 10. Is that Luke where 10. it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because in Luke 10, Mary shines as the one who is sitting at the savior's feet. And, and we sometimes get confused about what was Martha's relationship spiritually with the Lord? And in John 11, it's Martha who is first to the feet of the mm. Lord. It's Martha who bears testimony first of who he is. It tells us, and Mary sat still in the house. And I think it's so interesting to see that switch of, it tells us in Luke 10, and Martha served. And in John 11, and Mary sat still in the house. And to realize one of these women is not more spiritually inclined or attuned. They both are. And just circumstance allows one to be the person we look to in one story and the other to be the person we look to in the other story. And I love that um, 
I just love that Martha has that spiritual depth, has that testimony, has that belief just as strong. And sometimes we forget that yeah. in Luke 10. And um, I think it's a, I have those linked together in my scriptures just to remember that we, sometimes we don't know. And sometimes yeah. circumstances might cause a, a certain reaction in one situation that wouldn't be true in another. And, yeah, and right, to give right. that grace. Different days and different, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, this is my favorite part about this. You know how this story ends. You know, this is not a, I'm not, you know, we know where this is going, but this part in the middle when Mary comes to him and falls down at his feet and says again what her sister had said, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Then I think this is what's so powerful about this story to me. Jesus saw her weeping and also the people that came to comfort her, the Jews, that he saw them weeping also. And he was he groaned in his spirit and he was troubled about what they were troubled by. Like he who called us to mourn with those who mourn lived that covenant himself. Mm -hmm. He lived it. And and then he says this, where have you laid him? Right? Where is your problem? And then she says, come and see and takes him to it. And he follows. And I just love that Jesus would ask any of us that problem. Where's, where's the problem? Where is the hurt? Where is the tomb? Take me to it. Yeah. And then that next verse 35, Jesus wept. I'm so happy you ever divided the verses, yes, David. It's me own too. verse. Yeah. Just so, so that you know, you know that he didn't come in on a white horse sweeping in. Be like, I will solve this problem, you know, but he was in it with them. He cried with them. He came to the problem um, with them. And then, of course, um, that line where um, he's there in, in 41. And I love that he lifts up his eyes and says, Father, I thank thee that you heard me. It makes me think like that even, you know, that Jesus too was like, man, there's th things that I wish I could do and I wish I could change that, you know, that yeah. my will is swallowed up in, in his. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they're at a tomb, there's probably a tomb to the right and the left too. It's like, why didn't you raise that guy and that lady too? And it's yeah. just like, that there's reason to all this. And then he speaks and he calls his name in 43 and says, Lazarus, come forth. And then this line, and he that was dead came forth. And I just love taking that, that, that he comes to our tombs, wherever they are. And he calls us by name and he says, come forth out of that. And whether it happens later or today remember he waits three days yeah. so it, whether it happens immediately or there's a time of waiting i just i love that promise that's embedded in this story that says he will he, he knows our tears he weeps with us and he will call us forth out of that dark place mm. whatever it is yeah. can you hear him calling your name and calling you forth out of whatever it is. And this line 44 will be said of every person who's listening. And that was dead came forth. That which was dead came forth, whatever whatever it may be. This is the, it seems to be the great sign that John is leading up to mm -hmm. to show like this is who he is. And this is what he's capable of. Right. Yeah. Which is, um, and this is where Holy Week begins is right. right on the tails of this because it will be from 
this moment that that decision will be made, right? It's, there's no going back from this moment now. Uh, people know what he is capable of and the people who have decided they don't want that will move forward now consistently from here, which is so interesting. Like this, this one moment becomes the catalyst for belief and betrayal. Right, which you see in verse 45 and 46. I just yep. love that it's like, oh. And and you know what forty five usually does for me it it always it does this for me like sometimes you hear somebody else's miracle and it might cause you to like be angry or yeah. question or whatever but I love that these people who saw it decided to believe on him like that makes me want to believe yeah. on him and who and he it's is. so and interesting because it it does say that that so many believed on him but right after that is what do we do because this man does so many miracles and all men will believe on him. I know. You're like, and you're like, yes. That's what we were hoping for. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with that? Exactly. Right. So just so interesting how belief can go so easily one of two ways. Yeah. Well, anyways, awesome. So yeah. many like, so much about like who he actually, you really get into the heart and character of who God is yeah. um, this week. And, yeah. Um, and what he does. Yeah. Hey, we'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.